0: Hi Wallace. What's up, what's up? <laughs> we have some required reading for the week mm-hmm. that we've been pinning. We have a collective and by that I mean just between me and Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> pin like place where we pin articles inside of Notion and Notion is the software that we use to like run our business. And so we've got this like epic list of really good articles to think about and read that have to do with wellness. So we're going to talk about some wellnessy news. What's exciting you on our list, Wallace?
1: Well, because before we hit record, we were just talking about ordering takeout versus not ordering takeout versus food delivery. I was reading this article in The Atlantic, and the journalist was talking about that throughout the pandemic, people have changed their eating habits and pretty much three meals is not really a thing that anyone actually needs to abide by. And why are we doing that anyways? And she just now basically has one big meal a day that she calls big meal. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I resonate with that. Sometimes it's breakfast. (laughs) Sometimes it's 2 PM big meal, or sometimes it's
0: 7 PM big meal. Yeah. I feel like the collective structures inside of society are just crumbling at a rapid rate. And the one of the things that goes with them is especially with that without restaurants, just like, yeah. well, what is time? Like, why wouldn't I have macaroni and cheese at 10 AM? An entire box of it. And now I'm going to be fueled for the rest of the day. You know?
1: Exactly. And I think it'll be interesting because we're on this precipice right now of people getting
0: vaccines slowly. Like I I'm vaccinated. Are you vaccinated? I got my first one yesterday. I'm so, I cried. I was so happy.
1: I I was was so happy. Me too. I thought I was going to pass out. And I was like, I don't know if that's because of the vaccine or (laughs) I'm just excited. (laughs) And they were like, you need to sit down for 15 minutes
0: before you leave here. I was like, ma'am, sit down, please. Yeah. (laughs) We drove through Dodger Stadium.
1: Oh, very cool!
0: Me and Ethan and I'm just so happy that he finally has the vaccine because, you know, all the things. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm I'm just so happy. But they did make us sit in our car for 15 minutes afterwards, <laughs> so we were just <laughs> parked. Like, hope we don't pass out or something or <laughs> turn into like a sea creature. Like, who knows? But yeah.
1: So you, did you get you got the Moderna one? I did. Nice, nice. Well, I'm curious to see how you feel after the second shot. I got the Johnson & Johnson.
0: Oh, okay. The Big Bang. You know, I did read another article this week that on Medium on Marker actually. Mm. The title was why are we choosing vaccines like they're toothpaste? I'm like, I know. why are we going by the brand name and instead yeah. of like not being it, it was something that I read after I got the vaccine and I was like, ooh. Yeah, that is kind of, we're like shopping for vaccines as opposed to like really digging into them and potentially like their differences between them.
1: Well, I think the debate is also like, what is the priority? Herd immunity or being elitist about, I want the most effective vaccine? I think there's obviously things to think about depending on your health and whether you're pregnant or what Mm -hmm. type of you know, pre-existing health conditions you're dealing with. But I do think there's a little bit of that choosiness that comes into play that it's like, well, this is not the priority here.
0: Mm -hmm, Totally. Yeah. I think everyone I've talked to, doctors that I know, people who are adjacent or have like spoken with medical ethicists are like, everyone should be getting the vaccine. For herd immunity, there is no like pickiness. There's now that like it's been given to the people or the opportunity has been a sort of like people have had enough time if they are high risk to get it first and get early access. Mm -hmm. It's time to like go out and get your vaccine. So yeah, in LA it's it's possible. And I know a lot of other places in the U S too. Yeah. Well,
1: related to big meal and restaurants, I think it'll be interesting as things start to open up a little bit more to see how people do or do not actually flock back to eating out as much because I think there will be that shift of, oh, well, is it really worth the price? If prices have to go up, I can make Mm. this at home. I've already been making this at home. So I'm curious to see how that goes.
0: Yeah. I mean, Goop launched there. They just announced that they launched Goop Kitchen, which is a food delivery service. And I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop have been like hawking detoxes and meal plans and programs that I mean, they even do the goop detox, right? Which is like Mm. a big content play. They've been doing that for years. And they've been promoting things like Core Kitchen or the Clean Program, or I think probably even like Sakara Life, unless I'm having a seizure and like totally mess that up. But I think they've promoted a ton of other programming outside of theirs. Mm. And this is a very smart business play for them because cloud kitchens have popped off in the last yeah. year. Obviously, you know, so many restaurants have gone, gone under and so many, because we're relying on food delivery services mm-hmm. as opposed to going to real places, restaurants saw, well, I don't need to have a brick and mortar space. I just need to have a kitchen where I can make the food. And like, I don't need servers. I don't need a bartender. I don't need a house, front of house person and I can still run my business. So I'm so interested that they're popping on this like they're jumping onto this trend. It looks like delivery is only available for LA and California to get started. But I'm so curious to see where this ends up going. Is it a
1: ghost kitchen
0: that they've... I think I yeah. think it will be. Yeah. Because they don't have a brick and mortar space. It's yeah. just food delivery. And you can pick from... It looks like they're like bowls and macrobiotic or like vegan, probably meals. Mm -hmm. So, and it's less of a meal plan. It looks like and more like an actual thing you could order from caviar.
1: Interesting. You know who also launched a ghost kitchen? Who? (laughs) Tiger.
2: The meal I didn't
0: know I needed.
1: (laughs) I mean, I want to know what Tiger's cooking up. Like
0: I I just remember, I just think about like, so many things flash into my brain when I think of Tyga and like some, some music and then Kylie Jenner. I'm like, ah, weird. Like so strange. Yeah. Clout kitchens are what those, those are called. of like Celebrity Celebrity kitchen kitchen. cloud kitchens that are popping up. So, so I guess, you know, this GP thing is kind of like a combo of the two.
1: Yeah. I mean, it seems to make total sense for them. It's like just a hop, skip and a jump to the next venture.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's crazy how much group has expanded in the last couple of years. They also got into sex toys recently. I don't know if you saw, they're mm-hmm. like very bullish on, on sex toys. They have a ton on their website and they have a double-sided vibrator. Mm-hmm. Seems very messy. I don't know why you like, where does your hand go if it's double sided I don't know. I don't really know how it works, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. It also, it's a bit pointy on one side. I just don't think it's what I would want. Personally. Like, I don't know.
1: Well, it depends on... Your
0: face. <laughs> 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 I don't want to shame anyone. To each their own. Yes, yes. To me, I'm not like, ooh, cannot wait to stick that in my nether regions. Right, right, right. Whatever. I see, I see. But, yeah. but I will tell you what is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Would love to stick it someplace. Is Mod's new non-binary vibrator. Mm-hmm. So it's for all bodies and... I don't know. I just like love the people at mod Eva is the founder and she's been really like focused on sort of genderless sex toys for Mm -hmm. before it was very trendy. Yeah. And I just think she's really smart and cool. And I love how inclusive their brand is. And like, I don't know so much sex positive. So many of the sex positive brands earlier in the aughts were like, pink and fluffy and pastels Mm -hmm. and like, you know, so women oriented Mm -hmm. or like feminine Mm kind of like that we've like been able to decouple gender from sexuality.
1: Yeah. I also really like their designs. They're really sleek. I actually bought one for a friend and they're really, I don't know, nice to touch. They're really beautiful. But as part of
0: for a a friend, wink, wink, for
1: a friend,
0: (laughs) Well, it was one of those
1: where I was like, "Wait, I really do need to buy this for myself." <laughs> but and I do, I do. At the time, <laughs> but as part of our required reading, I was just kind of loling at the byline for the Vanity Fair article about Maud where it says Maud the sexual wellness company that counts Dakota Johnson as co-creative director (laughs) just of all the things (laughs) I mean no shade to Dakota Johnson I like I love
0: Dakota Johnson she seems great she seems weird and fun at parties I'm like but that's that sounds awesome I love that for her
1: shout out to all the roles she's taken I love her. The variety.
0: I <laughs> shout, shout out to her takedown. She really dom- was the dom- first domino in the takedown of Ellen.
1: That's true. That's true. She also has a great episode on Architectural Digest, cool house,
0: <laughs> very cool house. She loves limes, apparently. That's that's the joke in in the video. It's true,
1: it's true. I would like to know more about her being the co creative director and what that really means in terms of, you know, celebrity. Creative direction endorsement, very interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not I mad at like, it. I'm just curious. What's that mad really at... mean?
0: I feel like the term "creative director" in the last, like, I don't know, however many years since on since Instagram, like everyone's a fucking creative director. And mm-hmm. I'm like, you're 23. How are mm-hmm. you a creative director? <laughs> Sorry, that's. I mean, not to be like a gatekeeper or anything. But we're just like, okay, cool. You can claim that. That's totally fine. But this doesn't, what does it mean, right? What is like the definition of that thing? Mm -hmm. I guess you could say the same thing for CEO, but I think that celebrities as creative directors is like a level up of endorsement. Yeah. Like it feels like, yeah, plucking an influencer and being like, will you please put these things on your Instagram Mm -hmm. and like, we'll give you creative director cred. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure she's invested in the company as well like I'm nearly positive that that's probably part of it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And that makes sense. Like Mm -hmm. if you're, if if you want money as, you know, a founder, you also want to like, when you're thinking about taking on investment, you want to think about what your investors can do for you beyond just being capital. And a lot of time that's like creating connections or offering, you know, their genius in an area that they're really good at. If they have experience in something, or like in this instance, maybe it's, the marketing that Dakota Johnson can do just by associating her name with the project.
1: Mm -hmm. No, totally. I mean, knowing some of her roles, I'm like, this is a great. (laughs) Oh, right. 50 (laughs)
0: shades of gray. Yeah. Also, I forgot
1: about that. She's in a few of what's his name, this Italian director who makes like very sensual movies about just hanging out in Italy. She's in a few of his movies. I'm forgetting his name, but it makes sense. It's not that much of a digression from her brand, so
0: it's on brand I'm here yeah. for it. Yeah, love that for her. Love that for Mod. I think that like Mod's mm-hmm. a dope company, and I want to see them succeed. And yeah, like however they do that, that's great for me. I love that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Should we talk about late stage pandemic brain?
1: Oh yeah. Oh my god. Mm-hmm.
0: So there's this article in the Atlantic that talks about the effects of late stage pandemic brain which is basically if you're feeling burnt out, it's because we're all going through a collective trauma and we're, and I quote, we're all walking around with some mild cognitive impairment because of everything that's happened in the last year. So if you're wondering why you can't stop flipping over to Instagram and you can't send a fucking email, maybe nope, don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I I was listening to a recent episode of the cuts podcast and it was about this woman's experience in a deprivation tank. And Mm -hmm. there was also, I think this was in one of the past required readings, actually, a journalist from the New Yorker also had written about his experience in one or not the New Yorker New York times. And this idea of how we just want to experience nothing so badly that that's the only place we can go to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel that all the time (laughs) personally. Yeah. Like I'm in my house. I'm so lucky, you know, like I'm in my house. I don't have a child. I have just my partner and my dog and like, I work online and I'm still like, I just need to be alone. Mm-hmm. I just like want to be unreachable and I want to be alone.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I <want to> think. <laughs> and just like dull, which I think is interesting thinking about even the research that we're doing for the cusp of about you know the movement towards sobriety and mm-hmm. and away from even caffeine, which are some of the themes for next month. I think it's interesting to think about how That coincides with the rise of adaptogens and CBD infused Mm -hmm. everything. Where we're like, we just want to like dull everything just a little bit more. Just want to feel a little bit more numb, a little bit more nothing, a little bit more flatlined.
0: Yeah, it's. I've been really digging into the non-alcoholic beverage space, and there's sort of like, you know, my thesis is that there are three sort of different spaces, and there's going to be a really big research trend report inside the Caspif you want to double click on this yourself if you're listening, but there's kind of like three categories, right? There's the non-alcoholic beverages that taste like beer and wine that are like basically those without booze. There's non-alcoholic sort of like liqueurs and spirits or aperitivos. And then in which are like meant to be sort of mixers. And then there are like totally those, drinks that have adaptogens and nootropics and that like you feel something you don't feel mm-hmm. drunk but like it makes you feel something maybe it's cbd maybe it's something else but it's crazy how quickly that category is growing and mm-hmm. how many people want that people want to feel out of their body like they just want to like yeah
1: we want some natural zanny in our sparkling
0: water <laughs> give it to yeah. us now yeah. i want it wow. now and i don't want to be hungover tomorrow but i don't want to feel anything right now <laughs>
1: I want to leave my body leave my brain and enjoy some effervescent liquid at the
0: same time Oh man I like wish I had a brain autoresponder like that's what I need I just need I need to like put my brain on autoresponder and just Zen out and not watch Netflix and just that is... Netflix is not relaxing to me in the slightest
1: personally. no I I've gone. I'm in a film phase where Mm. I'm not binging TV stuff anymore. I'm just like watching classic films, which feels like zoning out a bit.
0: Mm, That's nice.
1: But yeah, pandemic brain. Another thing that will be interesting is how we transition back into socializing more. And I think that coincides with, okay, are people going to be, you know, bars won't be the same at least for a while so where how are people going to be
0: congregating over what
1: type of liquid
0: yeah I was talking to E yesterday and I was like I just can't wait to go to a coffee shop again and like sit in a coffee shop and drink a coffee even though I don't drink coffee anymore and be on my computer and just be around people you know or meet someone for meet someone outside and like not have to wear a mask like I can't wait to do that again
1: yeah
0: I think like a lot of us were expecting that we just have this one big day where everything opens, right. Mm -hmm. Where everything's back to normal and it's all good, but we're realizing like, Oh, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be like a slow rollout of it won't just be everything. We wake up one morning and everything has gone back to normal. It'll be one piece at a time, which is better. It makes me feel better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think that, I mean, I think people are going to rage, For sure Mm -hmm. like people are gonna be just like Mm -hmm. i can see west hollywood being insane yeah i used to like live on that main drag where all the bars are yeah i can see that being wild but i also think that a lot of people are just gonna want to like hang out together and not drink and i'm so fascinated to see this non-alcoholic beverage space continue to grow that was a good roundup those are all such good stories we'll put the links in the show notes below so you can go read them yourself we're talking about energetic exchange today. Wallace, what do you think of when you think of energetic exchange?
1: I have to be honest. The first thing that comes to mind is when I did energy exchange at a yoga studio. (laughs) Ooh, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was like, Oh, (laughs) like hearing those two words together. I was like, that was a hot yoga studio. I did not like that experience.
0: (laughs) I don't know how I feel about it. (laughs) Work study sucks. Yeah. Work study sucks. I did work study for a couple of years in a dance studio so I could take classes. Yeah.
1: But then you never really take advantage because you're like, I just want to leave because now I work here and it's not the same.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Also like time poverty. Yeah. yeah. If you are working, if you're like doing work exchange, it's because you can't afford regular classes, but like, that's not because you're not a hard worker and it's not Mm -hmm. because you can't get a job. It's because- you have a job that doesn't pay you enough to like afford other things. So I don't think the answer is like, Hey, how about some more work? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) It doesn't make sense. No. So that's actually, actually, that's a, that's a good example of like an unfair energetic exchange, Mm -hmm. I would say, or an unequal energetic exchange, but like uh, I'm using the term energetic exchange as a form of like how basically payment, right? and reciprocity when we give and receive there's an energetic exchange in like every single thing that we do you could even say like an interaction is an energetic exchange like when you talk to someone or you say hi to someone and they say hi back to you or they don't energetic exchange doesn't have to be equal it doesn't have to be even and it doesn't have to be fair but I think if we're like trying to run an intuitive business that is accessible and inclusive and equitable then like we ideally want it to be but I wanted to talk about energetic exchange because I've been doing a lot of one-on-one work lately and pretty much everyone I've talked to has expressed like they just have so much difficulty pricing themselves. Mm -hmm. Like they have no idea how to price themselves and it's not that they, they don't have self worth, which I think is like a myth that we hear a lot that, well, if you raise your self worth then it's easy to name your price and to quote unquote, ask for your worth. I don't think that those two things necessarily go together. Like self-worth is really important, but I don't think it always makes it easier to price your services or your products.
1: No, and I think there's such an element of just in general, the topic of money in our society, just as like to pull out of it being so taboo, even talking about it. So there are so many people that just don't have a concept of what things cost, how much you should pay for things, how much you should price things. And I'll include myself needing to learn so much of that on my own, that my family was very like conservative in how they talked about money. And I think Mm -hmm. there are so many families that don't talk about money for so many different reasons. And I think Mm -hmm. that really eventually comes out in, you know, the wash when you're then on your own, trying to figure out your own price points for what you should charge an hour, what you should charge for a project, what you should charge for a service. It's so wrapped up into obviously deeper relationships with money, but also societally that we're not even comfortable telling each other or talking about it.
0: 100%. I mean, I think we've talked, I've talked about on this podcast before, like I realized I was getting grossly underpaid at a job that I was working at when I was like on a run with someone I worked with and we were talking, she was like, "Ugh, I'm only making like 85 grand or 95 Mm -hmm. grand and I need a raise. And I was Mm -hmm. like, wait, wait, what? We have the same job and I'm making like 30 grand less than you. And I'm also doing more work than you. Like, this is crazy to me. Yeah. And it wasn't her fault, but yeah, we just don't have those types of conversations and they're really hard. I think in general, the power dynamic
1: is really complicated to talk about, whether it's like with your boss, with your, mm, I think it's different with coworkers. I think there is a little bit more of like openness now and transparency between people and sharing, you know, details of financials so that there can be parity
0: within the workplace. Yeah. To your point, like the power dynamics that exist, there Mm -hmm. is always a power dynamic in everything that we do. And it's not always as cut and dry as like a boss and an employee or a client and the contractor Mm -hmm. and, or the service provider. And I think that that is where people get, they forget where the power lies. First off, you always have power. Mm -hmm. Like you always have power. If you are, you have like something to exchange. You have energy to exchange. And so a lot of, I think pricing yourself is like remembering what your value is and what you bring to the table. And I think especially for service providers, remembering that you're not just like someone who is disposable. Mm-hmm. You're not just like a contractor that people can hire and then go hire another person on Upwork. You are getting hired for your the work that you do, for the service that you provide because you're an expert in what you do and your client is coming to you looking for advice and guidance and your perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think we forget about that a lot and we give our power away by sort of lowballing ourselves and just like crossing our fingers and hoping that we'll get picked for the job. And if we were able to stand in like that knowing of here's what I do bring to the table, here's, here's what my value is. Then first off, We would feel a lot more comfortable talking about what we should get paid. And also, I think we'd price ourselves more fairly because I think there are a lot of people that inflate their prices because they've been told that their value or their worth is related to the dollar amount that they price themselves at. And that's just not true. Like human beings are not products. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like that's not, that's, I'm not going to say like, while well, it's your value to me is X, Y, Z, because that's your salary. You're in, you're invaluable. Mm-hmm. Like as a human being, yes. it doesn't matter how much, what, whatever your salary is. And same for me. So that's where it gets tricky. And when people start to use that language of like, well, you're worth in your value. I'm like, that's not, Mm-mm. we're all value. We're all innately valuable, <laughs> you
1: know? Like that is so tied to your value being your productivity. Mm -hmm. And so it's like we it's weird that that's taken hold in this realm of spirituality and like energy and money. I feel like that Mm -hmm. kind of conversation has really taken hold with your worth. And you're like, this is actually gross. And mm-hmm. now it's being spun as like a new age, mystical, energetic thing. And you're like, yes, this is so backwards. And this is <laughs>
0: yes. so fucked up. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It is totally getting like the like wealth as wellness treatment. I think it's important to talk about and just acknowledge like, yeah, these are separate, complex and nuanced things and how you price yourself. Oh my God. There's just so much that goes into it. Yeah. So energetic exchange is what you're going to be using in any sort of transaction that you do. And we know that like every, all day we're completing transactions, right? We're having transactional conversations. We have transactional relationships. I know that sounds like icky, but it's true because there's energetic exchange behind everything that we do. When I like, you know, there's an energetic exchange between me and my romantic partner. I give him something and he gives me something. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that we need to like vilify that necessarily. We just need to open up to that's what it is. Mm-hmm. An energetic exchange can look like a lot of things, right? It doesn't have to be a financial exchange, but it's what we're basically measuring to determine whether it's worth it to give away our energy to something or someone or some community. So there are a couple different ways that we can think about energetic exchange in terms of like, is it worth it? Let me work it. <laughs> Like why to use the four pillars of intuitive business, right? Growth, revenue, retention, and impact to kind of figure out like if it's our product and our services that we're thinking about. Most of the time when we think of energetic exchange, we're thinking about revenue as the form of exchange that we're getting, but that's not the only form of exchange, right? We can think about growth as a form of exchange. So when I do something, I'm growing my community or my audience or my self-knowledge, We can think about retention when I complete something or I make a project or offer a service. I'm helping to retain people for longer or impact, right? When I offer something to the world, maybe what I get back in return is I'm deepening my impact and that might not have a monetary or financial value to it, but the impact piece is super important. I think that if you are struggling with finding pricing for yourself or finding pricing for a product that you're making lay all of your services and products out on the table and just like notice that maybe you have a course maybe you have a substack maybe you have you know one-on-one coaching or maybe you have one-off services or maybe you're a consultant right like look at all the things that you offer and then i want you to just assign to each of those things what area of your intuitive business Like, what is the energetic exchange that you get out of it? And if you had to pick one, growth or revenue or retention or impact, what would you file it under? Because not every single thing that we do is related to our revenue. Even if it's a product, even if it's a product that we charge money for, we don't always charge hundreds or thousands of dollars for something because it's not going to be our main revenue driver. What it actually might serve its purpose as, is as a growth engine for us, or maybe as an impact engine, or maybe as a way to retain our clients and to like keep our community happy. And I think understanding sort of the role that your products and services play in your business kind of like lets you unclench your butthole a little bit about pricing and around pricing. And It also creates a more dynamic ecosystem of pricing so that not everything that you offer is hundreds or thousands of dollars. Maybe some of the things that you offer that are really fucking valuable, you offer for $9 because they're not a moneymaker for you. What they are is a growth engine or a retention engine or an impact engine. Maybe you offer them for free. I'm getting very heated about this. What do you think, Wallace?
1: I was thinking about the four pillars within a pie chart taking up different space, each section kind of growing and shrinking throughout the year or years, depending on what your focus is and what you need to put more energy towards, just depending on the needs of your business. So maybe at one point, it's about impact. So you're focusing on impact, which eventually drives growth, which then leads to revenue. And then you have to focus on intention to keep that going. So I was thinking of like a pie chart with all of the different sections, but then outside of the pie chart, like the cyclical nature of it, essentially flowing yeah. together.
0: Yeah, it's dynamic. That's exactly it. It's like they all affect each other. It's mm-hmm. an ecosystem. We talked about content ecosystems and your business ecosystem a couple of podcast episodes ago. And it's the same thing, right? We are constantly ebbing and flowing and changing. The material is sort of like changing shape Mm -hmm. or flavor or tenor, because it's a living, breathing thing. That's like what an intuitive business is. So again, to the point of like, when it comes back to pricing yourself, your pricing doesn't have to be static and it doesn't have to be so rigid, right? It doesn't have to be like, well, everything I do, I'm, I'm not valuing myself if I offer a low cost offering. I mean, like you're not devaluing yourself necessarily. Mm -hmm. If that feels an alignment for you to offer something for, I offer so much stuff for free. Mm -hmm. Trust me. I know that what I have to dig to give is really high value. Mm -hmm. And I still give a lot of it away for free. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that I don't have really high self-confidence in my abilities, Mm -hmm. you know?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So I think that if you're struggling with pricing yourself, kind of looking at that high chart, as Wallace said, or that content, that ecosystem of your products and services and figuring out what role each of them play in your business right now is really valuable. And then when, once you kind of figure that out and you figure out what your main revenue driver is, and I say drive revenue driver as the product or service, that's going to be maybe like the majority of your income is going to come in or the majority of your profits going to come from. I want you to just do a gut check of like, all right, put yourself into the future, maybe close your eyes and imagine what it would be like if you're halfway through, you know, producing this course or halfway through working with a client or halfway through teaching a workshop or halfway through writing an ebook. What's going to be worth it for you when you're really in the weeds or when you get an email really late at night from a a client or a student or you have someone give you bad feedback on a course that you've created? What's really going to be worth it for you when you close your eyes and those things happen and it gets hard where you're going to say, you know what, I'm getting paid my worth. This project is worth it. I know that when I was doing consulting work, I would always put myself in that situation because it inevitably happened, right? Where I'd get an email from a client like two in the morning and they'd want something done in the next three hours I'd be like, either I'm not getting paid enough for this or, all right, I am getting paid enough for this. So I better not complain about it. And I better like do my job. That always helps me get like laser focused and super clear on like what I should be charging for something. Mm
1: -hmm. That's a good way to look at it. Your bottom line.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think about it like when I'm, when I'm tits deep in this, in this project, like Mm -hmm. what is going to, what's going to make me not be like a bitter asshole about having to do this work and complaining about it. And I tend to be bitter because I've got that projector mood.
1: Mm. Mine's like frustration and resentment. Mm -hmm. Do
0: you normally feel that when you're not feeling like you're valued in a project or like you're not getting paid for your value?
1: Yeah. I feel like frustration, because that is my not self theme in human mm-hmm. I would I would say that comes up the most. Resentment, not as much, because I feel like that's like a long-term thing, mm-hmm. but frustration. Yeah. yeah. That
0: makes sense. And that's a really good sign when you feel those not self themes that you are, that your energetic exchange is out of alignment, because yeah. that's all it is, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this energetic exchange is unfair. Just like if you had a friendship, right? Where you were always driving to see your friend Mm -hmm. or you were always going out of your way to like make that friendship work. And they never, they didn't meet you halfway. Mm -hmm. They didn't even like meet you a quarter of the way. That's not a fair energetic exchange for either of you, especially if you're starting to feel like, well, I'm really getting taken advantage of. And that's when things are out of alignment. And I think we we don't want to seek homeostasis, right? We don't want things to be static and stay the same. We want to be fluid and like, you know, mutable. Mm-hmm. But we also want to make sure that it's the, like the scale doesn't swing too much in one direction so that we're giving away too much of ourselves, either spiritually or emotionally or or physically.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm yeah that's interesting to think about with human design like knowing what your not self theme is to look out for that and then figuring out okay when I do feel this way what can I do to get back into alignment how can I address this situation especially when it comes to money it's like requires usually a lot of like rejigging of boundaries or mm-hmm. reasserting them or doing some deep journaling work. <laughs>
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, we talk about this in profitable content creator lab a lot because we talk about giving away free content and mm-hmm. even though we say free content like you're still getting an energetic exchange most of the time mm-hmm. for your content. You're getting viewership, you're getting eyes on it or you're getting you're growing your community and when it starts to feel like it's too much, people you'll know when you've crossed that threshold because you start feeling you're not self theme, either you're angry or you're bitter or you're resentful or whatever it might be, or you're like super disenchanted, like that sort of spark goes away. And that just means that like, all right, we've got to figure out how to make this energetic exchange work for me again. It doesn't mean stop making free content. It doesn't mean like don't show up for people. It just means you have to sort of renegotiate those boundaries to your point. But there's also a couple of different ways like I feel like we've kind of talked in esoterics about and like theoretically (laughs) like how to price yourself but I have some like go-to spiritual practices that I use for pricing if you are curious to to hear them
1: oh do tell
0: (laughs) (laughs) so I'll start by saying it's really 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 hard for me to price anything Mm. like and I I know that about myself (laughs) if you have like a white man that you know it's always great to just be like hey what would you price this at and that (laughs) was
1: It's always like 10 times what you were going to say. It is
0: literally 10 times what you're going to say. Absolutely. I remember talking to Ethan like early in our relationship and a sponsor had reached out to me and I was like, so what do you think I should charge them? And he was like, I don't know, like 10 grand. And I was like, oh, <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, totally. Okay. totally. That's, what, that's totally what I was going to say. I was like, I was maybe going to do it for like free, you know, for the first time, <laughs> like, you know? I'd say that's not a spiritual hack, but just like, maybe if you know a white guy, ask him what he would charge and then just like walk into the room with the audacity and just the confidence of a white man as you're sort of pitching your idea. Also, I think it just helps to know like, oh, other people are throwing numbers at these companies and it's not just me. And I don't need to like worry about being coming in at the highest rate they've ever seen. Guarantee you, if you're working with someone, they've seen higher rates before, it's like not a big deal. So don't worry about that. But some pricing stuff that's really helped me other than asking my partner what he would charge for something, because just because that's what he would charge doesn't mean that it feels good to me. I'm not going to just copy him because I think that people feel when you're not, you can't say a price with your full chest when you don't fully embody it and believe it. That's it's energy. It's an energetic exchange so you want to have all of your energy behind the number that you say. You want to be able to also have integrity in yourself when you say it out loud and know that that's, that you're excited to charge that. I think that people, when they overinflate their prices, they actually end up making less resource for themselves because people can sense that there's something off there and it you can't like fake it till you make it. You really have to believe in what you're saying. So Three things that I would recommend. First, ask the fucking Akashic Records. Like, you can ask the Akashic Records, literally, what should I price this course at? What should I price this offering at? What should I charge for my hourly rate? And they will usually give you a really clear number. Sometimes it's not the number you wanted, and that kind of sucks. But sometimes it's way more, and that also is a little bit scary. But check out, we've got a download for the Akashic Records if you haven't opened them before, but they're a spiritual tool. There's an episode... When did we do that episode? Do you remember? It was a little while ago. Um, I think it was maybe like November in the first 10. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's an episode on opening your Akashic records and kind of what they are that I strongly recommend you check out if that's interesting to you, but that's always the first place I go. And it's usually where I get my answer, but sometimes, especially if I'm like really having self-doubt, which I have a lot, I'll go to the pendulum and you can make a pendulum out of anything that you want. I recommend like if you have a crystal, <laughs> I tie mine to a piece of floss, and then you just program it, and you basically ask the pendulum to show you the true and like what is true. So ask a question like, "My name is," or say like, "My name is Michelle," or say your name, obviously, and see what the pendulum, how the pendulum swings, and that will be your answer for yes. And then give it a falsehood, so like, "And I live in Connecticut," and then see how it swings. And you're programming the pendulum, so it's basically depends on how you look at it you might look at it as your unconscious or your subconscious sort of speaking to you through your body or you might view it as some sort of spirit or guide moving the pendulum around to give you a description or to give you an answer for the question that you're asking but then I ask like all right I'll start with a super big range like should I price this this offering between hundred dollars and twenty thousand dollars and then the pendulum will obviously say yes or or it'll say no maybe you got to price it underneath that or more, or more than that and then i just basically narrow it down so i'm like all right is it between 200 and 10,000 is it between 300 and 5,000 until i get to the sort of range of the price it should be at does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah so i think that that can be helpful as like a gut check beyond your Akashic records of like where you should start. And then the last one's a little bit weird, but I mean, I think you can just ask the spirit of money or the spirit of abundance, however you want to call it, to tell you what you should be pricing yourself at. And if everything has a a spirit, if everything has an Akashic record, then that means that we can ask those things to give us guidance and advice. And so if you create a relationship with money as a spirit, then you can ask the spirit of money for more information about the questions that you have. So you can ask a spirit of money like, what should I be bringing in in this next month? And how will I get there? And money will potentially give you an answer. I also recommend building an altar. I learned this from one of my teachers, Carolyn Elliott. She has you build an altar to the spirit of money. And I don't agree with everything that Carolyn Elliott says, but I, I do like some of her perspective on money as a spiritual force and as a spiritual entity. And I think that it's really cool to think about the energetic exchange between you and the spirit of money or you and any sort of spirit. That's what altar building is. It's an energetic exchange, right? We make a beautiful altar. We give gifts. We tend to the altar because there's an energetic exchange between us and our guides or our ancestors or the spirits and that we're trying to connect to. So I think building an altar to the spirit of money and not worshiping money, but honoring its spirit and what it, all the complexity that it holds for us can be a powerful way to sort of open up a, another portal when it comes to your pricing.
1: Mm-hmm. I was also thinking about muscle testing, as you said that.
0: Mm, yeah, that's a great yeah. that's a great call. We we did this with Carolyn Coleridge in one of our North Node classes on inner mm-hmm. child work, where you basically cross your pointer finger underneath your middle finger, mm-hmm. so it's like you're making um, crossing your fingers, and then you but you take the top of your um, middle finger over the top of your pointer finger, and if you can press down all the way down and your finger falls when you ask a question then that means that you don't believe it. Right. Or like that it's not right for you. So I guess you could do muscle testing in terms of like, should I charge a thousand dollars? And if you're able to keep your fingers up, then like, yes, it's a good place to start. And you can get kind of like narrow down and get closer and closer, especially in my like moments where I'm really, really doubt inevitably what happens is, at least for me, I ask like, what should I charge? I just stuttered as I said it. I'm like, what should I charge? And I get a number that's like way bigger than I'm comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I can't charge that. Mm-hmm. No. And then I look for like way more evidence. And so I'll like talk to the records and I'll talk to the pendulum and I'll ask the spirit of money. And then I'll be like, well, let me pull some tarot cards and I'll look at the numbers on the top of the tarot cards <laughs> yeah. and I'll use that as my example. So, I mean, you could do that. You could totally do that too. But I think after a certain point, you also have to kind of acknowledge in yourself, like, what are you afraid of?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I think usually at the root of it is rejection. Like you're afraid of rejection and you're afraid of people judging you potentially, right? Or thinking you're a bad person. And if you equate being resourced, being able to afford living and being and like being well with being a bad person, then no amount of like pricing work, I don't think can help you because in your heart, in your unconscious, you want to be good. And so you might potentially act in ways prevent you from bringing in money or or whatever or becoming quote-unquote rich if you think that in order to be a good person you can't make money but that's mindset stuff that like takes that's a whole other episode I feel like we're not saying that people in poverty create their poverty through their mindset I just want to be extra clear Mm -hmm. because I think that people say this a lot in the wellness space or in money mindset conversations of like well you just need to like the reason that you're not making money is is because you have low self worth, or because like you yeah. don't think you can make money. And we need to acknowledge that like we have a ton of privilege. Wallace and I are both white women, and that that's just not true. There's systemic oppression that exists mm-hmm. that keeps people in poverty in a poverty state, no matter what. And so we need to do the work on the material plane in this like in as activists to dismantle systems of oppression that perpetuate. Things like poverty and racism and sexism and cis-sexism mm-hmm. and Islamophobia and all the isms. And there's also mindset work that we can do personally that maybe we can notice for ourselves. And this may be true for some and it might not be true for, for others. But is there some part of you unconsciously that equates well-being or or money with being a bad person or not being deserving of it or that it's dangerous. I know for me, that was something that I was really afraid of what would happen to me if I made money. I was really afraid of being alone and not being relatable and also like not being lovable if I could take care of myself Mm -hmm. and that shit runs deep.
1: Yeah. I feel like within my family, it's like rich people are inevitably just unhappy and, generally evil
0: yeah totally totally Society, And like yeah. seeing that over and over again yeah that was not to
1: say that, that those definitely. things are untrue <laughs>
0: that's but yeah, they're, totally. it's
1: not obviously categorically true
0: right it's not like an either or mm-hmm. and, and we are not behemoths right like mm-hmm. there are outliers in all situations and in fact like for all the miserable rich people that you know, there's probably a lot of really happy rich people, (laughs) you know, and like probably a lot of really good wealthy people out there. And also like you get to choose what you want. You get to choose your destiny and your fate. Like just because you, you don't have to be like everyone else. You can choose to be someone who makes good money and who gives back to others Mm -hmm. and who's a good person. Mm -hmm. Your identity is in your control. It's not in the control of society to like tell you who you are and how you're going to be because you, I don't know, fit into a new tax bracket. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just some light money stuff. <laughs> yeah. it was just,
1: no, it's it. Yeah. No matter which way you swing it, it's, it's an intense topic.
0: Yeah, it is. It, I just wish that like, we could always ground conversations around money in everyone deserves to be well-resourced. Like everyone deserves to have rest Mm -hmm. and to have food and to have a clean, safe place to live and to have healthcare and to not work themselves to to the grave, right? Into the grave. And we don't really live in a world where that is a vision that people hold for each other on the regular, I don't think. So it can be jarring to talk about money in this way.
1: Yeah. And I I just think even with what's happening with the discussions around minimum wage becoming like so intensely politicized and then looking also at the healthcare system here, it's like, how are we politicizing this even more when people don't have their basic needs met? It's just like, you can't really separate taking care of like having your needs met with financials in this society in the u.s
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah a lot has to change systemically in order for this thinking to become more mainstream and Mm -hmm. and like become second nature to us because it isn't right now Mm -hmm. and it feels revolutionary or radical or even ridiculous to say these things like parents should get paid to stay at home and raise their children, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. that's like a radical concept. People are like, why would we do that? Like that's a full-time job. <laughs> that's, that's great. If we should be paying anyone, it should be like parents who are at home with their children who are raising the future. Like they're doing work. It's not that they're not doing, it's just, we don't talk about this stuff a lot. And so it can feel through the lens of capitalism insane you know.
3: Mhm.
1: I didn't actually know that the mat leave here in California is one of the best in the country which is 3 months.
0: I didn't know that about California's maternity leave. I'm not sure if that's new, but I worked at a startup a couple of years ago and they'd never had a pregnant woman work there, you know, because we were, Mm -hmm. like, a baby company. Mm -hmm. And so there was no maternity leave.
1: Right. And
0: they just, like, had never created a policy. They had nine months to figure it out, but they figured it out, like, you know, the week before this woman went on maternity leave, and I think she took two weeks. (gasps) Oh, my God. I mean, I don't know how much that's her, her, like, wanting to be back in work, but also, like, also... yeah there's a lot there's a lot there but I mean to each
1: each his own like there's yeah it's very contextual like I can't I haven't had a baby so
0: (laughs) yeah yeah me neither but I am planning on taking like a full year (laughs) but like I talk about it a lot (laughs) as, as you should and then if, but, but there's no system like, but, but in order to do that, like yeah. we have to yeah, build yeah. that, like that yeah, is a hundred percent reliant on what we do in the business. And right. I hope that that's a possibility, but you know, it might, it might not be because we don't have any government that's like, yeah, go do that. That's important. Yeah. Right. And so it sounds ridiculous. It might sound ridiculous to someone who's listening to this episode. Just like a year, how luxurious, how insane, but also like for you to take, quote unquote, take off work, but it wouldn't, like, I think raising a person is a lot of work, you know? It's (laughs) not not a vacation, that's for sure. Yeah, it's sure in a vacation. (laughs) So I don't know, it's, well, I do know, it's just complicated. And there's a lot of unlearning that we have to do and sort of just like wiggling around in our own brains and being like, why do I think that way? Or like, Mm -hmm. where did I learn that? And is that still true for me? Mm -hmm. And do I want that to still be true for me or not? That's energetic exchange.
1: (laughs) And pregnancy and (laughs)
0: maternity (laughs) leave. (laughs) Yeah, that's all the things. Wouldn't it be cool to not say that it's a privilege to take maternity leave? Yeah. That you have to be privileged to take maternity leave or a privilege to stay at home with your kids.
1: Or to have health care.
0: Yes, wouldn't it be we should be able to say these things and say that they're just basic human rights and we're, we all deserve them. And I think that that's the thing that gets me when it comes to intuitive business of like, we can create that world because no one's gonna create it for us. Clearly they haven't. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we like that's part of why we should be spiritual people and people who are advocates for others, like why we should be doing this work and also why we should be getting paid because we're creating new structures. Like we have the opportunity to create new systems and change them and change them from the inside out. And that's really exciting to me. So I believe in you, if you're out there listening and you, you want to create a better world. And I think that one, one of the many ways to do that is to, to get you, get you paid and get you well resourced. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So part of that that story about pandemic brain right and like just feeling absolute utter burnout and exhaustion and having some sort of like you know mild cognitive impairment because of everything that we've gone through part of the article is like we're coming to the end of that right we're getting back into a state of more normalcy maybe we're going back to work or we're starting new jobs or we're sending our kids off to school again so we have the spaciousness to to do work that we're interested in. And in some ways, I think we're getting a bit of a reset because we're going back and maybe to workspaces that we haven't been in a while because we're working in new ways, because potentially like we're starting our own things. We have the opportunity to really get clear on what is my energetic exchange for how I operate in the world and everything that I operate in the world with. Like, How am I completing energetic exchange with the things that I'm enjoying, the content I'm taking in, the people I'm talking to, and is it fair and is it equitable? And if it's not, it's time to maybe like do a gut check and acknowledge and change that. So I think that it's like, this is a very potent portal of time where we get to make some new choices and choose some new, new roads, which is really cool.
1: Yeah, it's like, as all of these areas of our lives have collapsed into one over the pandemic, it's like, okay, so now they the doors are starting to open. So it's like, which door do you want to open and which door are you going to kind of be like, you know what, that one wasn't actually working. I'm going to build a new one.
0: That's it. That's it. Yep. There's always a more creative way. There's always a more creative way. So if you don't like the way that things are right now. You get to choose a more creative, more aligned, more intuitive path for you. And just because everyone else is doing it one way, doesn't mean that you have to do it that way. You get to choose. You get to choose your own destiny. That's the cool thing about being a human.
1: Mm-hmm. And your own pricing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks for talking to me about pricing. Wallace.
1: Of course. This is so interesting. The last thing <laughs> I thought of it was like, could we bring spin the bottle back? As- <laughs> <laughs> Maybe spin the bottle is just your version of a pendulum. Who's
0: to play Yes. Wait. We, we should make that a new spiritual. A spiritual. Tool. It's like spin the kombucha bottle. Right. And it's like what answer? We yeah. You can make a board, and yeah. you could like fill in the board. Hey, I think you just invented a new spiritual practice. I think. <laughs> I mean, who said? If
1: it works for you, if it works for me, we'll have to test it out and
0: report back. We'll let let you all know.
1: All weekend, I'll be spinning the bottle with me, myself, and my guides.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, that'll be the next episode. We'll let let everyone know
2: how that went. I'll report back. (laughs) Hi, everyone. It's me, Thais she her king and I'm v excited about my witch of the week today because she's from Trinidad like me I feel like all of the people I bring on here are like Caribbean women which would make sense so <laughs> I'm gonna talk about Wendy Fitzwilliams I want to break it down for everyone I recalled being eight years old on like the main road in Trinidad which is not actually the main road but like That's what they called it. And I saw this poster of Miss Universe and it was Wendy Fitzwilliams. I remembered when she won and it being like the biggest deal because it was like 1998 Miss Universe is Wendy Fitzwilliams from Trinidad and Tobago. And I think the last person that had won was like 20 years prior. And she was like this light skinned Trinidadian woman. But Wendy Fitzwilliams was my color. She was dark skinned like me. And at eight years old, that was the first time that I saw a dark skinned black woman be called beautiful. Like in the whole universe, the mm-hmm. universe has bowed down and said, This woman from this tiny island, and you know, she is the one that we crown as beautiful. But more so than being a darker-skinned Black woman that was beautiful, she was incredibly intelligent and really articulate. She is a lawyer. So she, when she went on there, you know how to be asking you questions. Like, if you were to win Miss Universe, what are some things in the world that you care about? Da-da-da. I remember, like, Miss Venezuela was, like, her runner-up. And I was just like, girl, what are you even saying right now? And then Wendy came out and was like, I think we should start talking about climate change and the effects of, mm -hmm. In 98? That's forward-making. 1998, she started talking about climate change and the effects of the environment. And if we aren't careful now, things are going to deteriorate. And I was struck by that. I was struck at seeing someone who sounded like me in terms of like rhythm and cadence of voice and accent And speaking about things that clearly had so much weight and doing so under pressure in makeup, in a gown, I was just like, you are juggling so many things all at once. And for me, you are an inspiration. So Wendy Fitzwilliams at the age of eight was my hero and she still is my hero because like, I think as a dark-skinned Black woman, you know, I grew up, like, my parents are, like, lighter-skinned than me, and my dad is mixed. And so, like, people would always be like, are you adopted? And, like, try to make me feel bad for being dark-skinned. And it's just, like, it never worked. I was just like, bruh, you can't make me feel bad because I love being dark-skinned. And I really feel like she was perhaps one of the reasons why I was just like, I'm dark skin, I'm black. I'm going to stand in the sun even longer than mm-hmm. I need to. And like, you can't make me feel bad. So she's my witch of the week.
3: I love it. She is beautiful. I like have been st- standing her Instagram mm-hmm. and very accomplished. I love that. She's gorgeous. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm just like looking at her face. Yeah. Like, yeah, I-, I could see why that would be your like role model it's yeah. inspiration. yeah
2: and she's 48 and I was just like oh my god I saw her do an interview the other day and I was just like wait is this from back then or is it from like now because she looks the same and I just I love that granted I'm also not trying to congratulate people for looking the same 20 years later that's a part of my like decolonization of my mind and beauty and all of the things but yeah like it's cool That's not an accomplishment. Looking young is not an accomplishment, but she does so, like great. And she's six feet tall,
0: which is married (laughs) the lead there. That's an accomplishment. Yeah, like that's amazing. (laughs) Like her with her crown, she was like seven feet tall. Is the crown a foot? Yeah, it is. It's like gigantic. I can't even show you on Zoom. It's like gigantic. It goes super, super tall. Insane. Yeah.
2: Wow! Yeah. And after she won, she recorded a jazz album. In fact, that was one of her talents. She sang jazz. Yeah. She's so smart. She's a lawyer. She sings jazz. She can like, she's cool. I was just like, and I was just like, man, you're all the things.
0: Wow. And what does she do now? Is she in Trinidad?
2: Yeah. So she currently lives in Trinidad. She spends a lot of time, like when she first won, she was an ambassador for HIV and AIDS raising awareness. And I think she was on like e-networks doing interviews, speaking. And now I don't actually know what she's doing in Trinidad, but I feel like it's something of worth in the pandemic.
1: Amazing. Her Instagram says she's a producer of the Wendy Fitzwilliam show and the Carib NTM show. Mm-hmm. Or wait, maybe that's the same show. She's a multi-talented lady.
0: I feel like beauty pageants were like a much like Miss Universe and Miss USA were like a much bigger deal in the Definitely. 90s. Definitely. Like, yeah. I feel like I remember and they even meant like watching Something them. different. Yeah. 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 <laughs> When did that change?
3: Oh, I feel like it would probably be around the era of toddlers and tiaras. (laughs) If I were to make a
0: guess. (laughs) (laughs) The cultural touchstone. Yeah, that's true. That and like Miss Congeniality. I feel like that kind of. Was, like, when maybe um, their, like, like, height. We and can get like murdered. And it was all <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I don't
3: want to get murdered at Miss USA. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Definitely when Trump oh. was hosting. I don't know when that was, but that was a real yeah. downturn.
2: It was. She said that she met him. There was this news caption the other day in England. It was just like, not even Wendy Fitzwilliams wanted to kiss Trump. And she spoke about it. She was like, I mean, he was pretty chill, actually. Like, and I do believe that he was, I think, before Donald Trump became the president, he was relatively not a, a dictator. And so... You know, I just feel like he might have. Oh, this could be an unpopular opinion. But I'm also looking at Donald Trump as a person. And I'm like, he wasn't always who he is now. And I feel like he was pretty. The okay.
3: headline. I'm stuck on the headline. Not even Wendy Williams who kissed Donald Trump.
2: Wendy, Wendy Fitz Fitz Williams. Williams. Yeah, I was like, that's, Fitz that sounds Williams. weird
3: saying just Wendy Williams. It's not the person that we're talking about. But that headline <laughs> is ridiculous. I, yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm going to try to find it. Yeah. I'm Googling it right now. It was on Instagram is where I saw it. Yeah. It came out in 2016. And it says no one wants to be kissed by Donald Trump. Here's proof. And it was Telegraph. Yeah. And it says that uh, she was like, it wasn't that bad. Like, he just was like, you did a good job, all of the things. And she was just like, all right, cool. And they kept it moving. Interesting.
0: Yeah, that this I'm looking at this article on I'll, I'll start, share it in the chat on the telegraph. It's not it's like a photo essay of like all these people crying or making disgusting faces or whatever when Trump goes in for the smooch I would say that Wendy looks very cute but she also looks unassuming because it looks like he's about to Mm. sneak attack her and she doesn't know what's coming but I feel like that's kind of his mode he kind of just did things what did he say him by the just do it when you're famous. No, you just do it and you don't ask for permission.
3: I remember this photo. That's crazy. I feel like I've seen this photo so
0: many times.
2: But also, can I just I feel like Donald Trump is a myth now.
0: <laughs> like 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 he disappeared into the ether. Like what do you mean? I can't find
2: him. I'd be Googling and he doesn't have a Twitter anymore. So I can't see what he's up to. And I'm like, bro, did you're a myth? Like, how do how will you communicate? I feel like he must be in
0: hiding, you
1: know? You better be. He owned, I'm just reading about Miss USA. He owned Miss USA from 1996 to 2015. Wow. And Mm. then he like sold half of it to NBC. But in 2015, NBC cut ties with Donald Trump and the Miss Universe organization in response to remarks that Trump made relating to undocumented immigrants during the launch of his 2016 presidential campaign. Mm. and then he threatened to sue them blah blah but they basically settled in the end I didn't know that he was part of that for so long
0: I feel like it checks out I Mm. mean like I'm sure there are good things about beauty pageants but like also not I mean like they yeah the scholarship money or whatever but like isn't it basically just the objectification of women yeah <laughs> and yeah, like, <laughs> i mean we, yeah we can't really get around that that's that's pretty much there's a lot like, of that you're in super there. hot and like if you can i don't know like articulate a sentence and like it's like bonus points if you're intelligent but like mostly what they're judging is like hotness.
2: Which is why I think it's such a flex. It's such a flex to like come into a, a man's world and then be like, and guess what? I'm really smart and I look good and I know all of these things and I can articulate a point. I just feel like it feels kind of Dolly Parton-esque mm. where it's like, and then cause you like win stuff and you win fame. And so like for people who use it in that regard when it's just like, this is patriarchal for sure, but I'm going to take this Flip it, reverse it, flip it and reverse it. It's natural. like, you know, I'm just like, go for it. That's flip true. It over. It's true. I feel like
0: that's the, like, struggle if you are a traditionally and conventionally attractive woman in the world of, like, how do you, do you sexualize yourself and try and, like, try to sort of, like, play the players? I feel like Emily Ratatowski, Ratatowski, Rat- I don't know how to say her last name. That really hot girl who was in gone girl.
3: Yeah.
0: who's not oh. pregnant. Who's like, basically like the male know. gaze. She's like, tried to take back the male gaze. She wrote this essay in New York, New York magazine about like buying back all of her naked images from photographers. And I feel like she talks about this a lot. I don't know if I like necessarily agree with her. Cause I don't, really agree with kind of her perspective but I don't know it's like an interesting conversation that's super complex
1: yeah Mm -hmm. because with I feel like when we talk about it in the context of Miss Universe it always feels like (laughs) and she's smart like it's always like an addendum Mm -hmm. it's like oh but she's a smart one she's a lawyer and it's just like that feels icky every time it comes up where you're like it just feels so secondary Mm -hmm. and
3: Oh, yeah. just yeah. a re- reminder that the basis is physical like you know mm-hmm. that's the foundation of that particular organization how that's run yeah and that, yeah that's not a good yeah. feeling at all period because that's not mm. what any of us actually will ever want to be focused on it's like so much of us are so body conscious but we're so body conscious because we, we really want to be the opposite <laughs> because we don't it's the opposite yeah experience that we want to have so yeah it's yeah. That, that's well, why it feels like, I feel like it feels icky.
0: And when you're told and like consistently over and over again, that your value as a woman is in your looks primarily, like that's how you're going to get ahead. doesn't matter how smart you are. Like it's really, yeah, it kind of, it's, it's complicated. Like how, I mean, pretty privilege is also like a real thing. You know, there are studies that show that people trust people who are more attractive. There are studies that show that like people who are conventionally considered more beautiful, like get paid more and like get the benefit of the doubt and people believe them. And like, that's
3: wild. I think then I have to ask the question, are contests like Miss America, like Miss USA, all of those things, beauty pageants are they then perpetuating this same idea and standard of beauty that then perpetuates the outcome and the fallout, the personal implications behind having to live in a world where that is the standard, where we do value beauty and physical looks so highly?
2: I personally think that pretty privilege permeates about everything that we do. And I think that beauty pageants are obviously like, the most glaring because it's a beauty pageant, but it shows up in just about everything. I feel like, you know, Michelle, you worked in tech. And uh, I remember when I was working in like cannabis, like the cannabis industry for a brief stint. And I would go to the, yeah, it it was wild. But anyway, but it was like, I would go to like all the investor meetings or whatever. They'd be like fancy meetings. And whenever the, it was mostly men talking about the investments, but when the women would come up, they all looked really pretty, like really good. And they had things to say, I think, because we are working and living in a man's world and being beautiful is political, honestly. And it's about when you have that privilege and you are aware of it, what do you do for somebody else that might not get that look? And so when it comes to like, Personally, like, I know it's annoying to be objectified, but it's kind of like, okay, if you're going to objectify me, then I might as well look good, say the thing, and then bring up the homie who you weren't going to, like, focus on to begin with. And I think that is how we can make the playing field more even or give more visibility to people that don't, wouldn't necessarily get it. It's about turning it over And just being like, I know what the men are doing. They'll probably will continue to do this. We can't necessarily continue to be a pawn in their game. Let's do the thing for each other.
0: Yeah, I think that like, that's totally true. And we always have, I think it feels like we have two options, right? We either have the option to play the game and like know that and everything that you just said, Thais, like look amazing, wear your maybe like, I don't. I was about to say sexiest outfit, but maybe not. Maybe just like wear something that makes you look cool and put together and then like fucking crush it at the investor meeting and like have the best slide deck and work a thousand times harder than like many, anyone with a penis in that room just to get taken seriously. Or you just like say, fuck this game. You flip the table and you don't put makeup on ever again and you just do things your own way and you just refuse to play by that set of rules. I'm pretty privileged. When I was getting raising money from investors, have I told you guys a story about how I I logged all my outfits? Wow. Have I told you this? She knows herself. When I was raising money from investors, like I would say that I'm a probably like conventionally attractive person and I'm young. So, and when I was getting investment, I was like 27, 28. When I was raising money, I was really worried about I really wanted to get investment from only women. That was my goal. I was like, I don't want to have any male investors because like, I I can't remember the stat, but I think it's like 5% of venture investment comes from women. I was really like wanting to push boundaries. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool if I was the first person to have an only female or only women cap table, which means you only have women investors. You don't have any men who have invested in you. And nobody does that. I had never seen anyone do anything like that. And I was like, that's fucking baller. I want to do that. That sounds sweet. So I started taking investor meetings and you meet with tons and tons of people. And the first investor, one of the first investors I met with was a man and woman who were married and they were an investing team. And I was wearing a dress. I was wearing, it was like summer. I was wearing like, you know, pretty casual dress and heels. And they basically sat me down and the woman told me how stupid my idea was to try and raise from only women when I looked like that. And she looked at me up and down and she was like, wear a dress to every meaning. And why on earth wouldn't you use like what you have to like get money? And it's kind of to Thais's point, right? Of like, use your assets, like use where you have your privilege. I felt I was so furious that like, I couldn't cry. I was like so mad (laughs) that she was so misogynistic to me and her husband just like sat there and so I got this idea of like, what would happen if I, I know that people are looking at me. I know that people like when I'm meeting with them are taking into consideration my appearance and that does contribute to whether they want to invest in me or not because pretty privilege is a thing. Right. But I also want them to take me seriously. And I'm asking for, you know, a lot of money to build a technical product and they might not take me seriously. So I had this spreadsheet and I changed my outfits every time. And I, I changed between dresses, pants, suits, and one pieces. So like a jumpsuit and I wore my hair up or my hair down. And then I wore makeup where I didn't wear makeup. And my most successful meetings where I got I moved forward and I got someone to want to invest in me was when I was wearing a onesie. So like a, a full bodysuit, and it didn't have to be form fitting, but it had to like show off my waist, but it shouldn't be too sexy where I was wearing a little bit of makeup. And when I had my hair pulled back, that was when it was mm. like the combination of yeah, exactly. businessy, but also like feminine. Wait,
2: well, first off, You logged all of this and like dude.
0: Yeah. I was gonna that's I was gonna write an article. I was gonna say this should be an article. Yeah. (laughs) I was I also like recorded after every meeting like what happened because some of the things that like I voice memoed it. I should like find them and put them somewhere. But like it was so crazy. Some of the things that were said to me in these meetings that like when I go back and look at my notes now, I'm like, that was insane. I had an investor try to put his hand down my shirt. Like it was. But Nana's, the things that happened in these meetings, just like there are so many gross stories. And that's why I decided to not take venture capital because I was like, I actually hate all these people and I want to die. And I think that there's a different way to do this. And I don't want to play this game. Like, I don't want to have to log my office and like game this system. I just want to build my own thing, way of doing things. And so that's why we do what we do at Holisticism. But it's like, you know, what do you do? There's so much opportunity that you, that could have been done. Like we, we would be in a very different position if we had gotten investment from venture capitalists. But wow. who knows if it would have been better or worse. Yeah. But I feel like that's like such a common thing. It doesn't matter what industry that you're in of like sort of having to play that game.
3: Wow, that's, mm-hmm. that's intense. <laughs> also, yeah, I think Huffington Post needs that whole experience I really honestly I'm I'm not even joking I really actually feel like that's something that you would read right now in in Huffington Post
2: well I'm glad you went through the fire so that we wouldn't have to thank you
0: (laughs) my pleasure yeah I mean not my pleasure but like that's why I care so much about teaching people about intuitive business because like it really hurt (laughs) for me to learn about it and I'm glad that I did. Like, I'm, I'm really glad that I learned that firsthand because I wouldn't have believed it. I didn't think women would be so misogynistic to each other. Oh, 100%. But,
2: 100%. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The
1: internalized misogynism yeah. that we all have is, oof, that's
2: another. Which is why I think that topic. pretty privilege is still a thing in the way that it is, is because yes, I might try to debunk mm-hmm. it, but who else is going to jump on board and like, help us all debunk it you know Mm -hmm.
0: yeah it's that everyone has a role right like everyone it's like what what they were saying about like in social justice like there's so many different roles that you can take you can take and play you don't have to be marching and protesting out in the streets you can like do your work from your computer if you want it feels like the same thing we're trying to like move anything forward everyone's got a role one person might be Wendy Fitzwilliam who's just like doing the good work by being her gorgeous six foot tall Lawyer self and others of us might be sitting at home in our pajamas, not wearing makeup with a sweatshirt on, then haven't showered in three days. And like that's our work. So, you know, I'll claim
2: that.
3: <laughs> Respect. It's been all of us. <laughs> yeah. It is the a reality.
2: It's the reality, y'all. So just just be <laughs> kind to yourselves in this time. We are still navigating very different times. And still,
3: even in that space, getting shit done. We are still not body neutral. (laughs) I am not. We're
1: really working
0: on it, though. It's really hard. It's really hard. I'm halfway
2: working on it. Definitely not.
3: You feel
0: feel neutral to your body? Or do you want to be neutral to your body?
3: Eventually. I just, um, I'm okay with not being neutral right now. That's where I'm at.
2: Because basically, sis is saying, I still got it, so I want to love it. I'm not ready to be okay on it. And I get it. Yep. Cause that's where I'm at. Mm -hmm. I think as soon as like, I was tripping the other day, I was like, I'm old. And then I started drinking sea moss. And then I was just like, I'm young. (laughs) That sea moss is magical. You had me convinced that I
1: needed to go and buy sea moss. And then I forgot two days later until this moment. Yeah, same.
0: (laughs) I almost bought it at the grocery store. I found it at Sprouts. And then I was like, this looks so disgusting. I do not want to, I do not want to take this.
2: I swear though, like two da- or like a week later, I was like, oh my God, my skin's not sagging anymore. Well, I don't know if my skin's not sagging or I've gotten used to like my face. <laughs> you became body neutral. There we go. Because I started fucking you with my what? face. I was just like, well, damn, I, I, that's not what I was seeing last week. <laughs> so maybe I did do something. You know,
1: CMOS could be your youth placebo. <laughs> Truly, I'll take it. Yeah,
2: no, I don't want to take it because I want to let one. go of youth. I want to let go of me, right? Youth. I'm not there yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say, I feel like you're
0: a youth until you have kids, but even then, I feel like you're still like there are lots of people that I know that are very youthful
2: and have children. Yeah, it's in the energy. I genuinely, yeah, yeah, agreed. Because mm-hmm. I definitely think I'll probably have a youthful energy forever because it's just like this is who I am. Big I still play yeah. tag, you know, or just like Janelle. This was years ago, but we were at Ralph's, and like I sat in the cart and she and just was like beep beep, beep and she like pushed me through the aisles of Ralph. <laughs> you know, we can't do that now in a pandemic, but no, I
3: think that's happened a couple times actually. Thanks, <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, probably.
0: <laughs> It's all in your, what do they call it? Your, not your biological age, your mental age.
3: Mm, yeah,
2: mm-hmm. 100%. Mm-hmm. That's how you feel. And there's also something to be said about like childlike wonder and optimism. And I think I've held on to it because like I still have hope. Like I still am like, I can be an astronaut. I mean, obviously I don't want to be an astronaut.
3: That wasn't but... a laugh at <laughs> that dream at all. That was just so random. You're laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> at all i just thought that he's an astronaut outfit immediately that was wonderful <laughs>
2: yeah so but you i can't be it's an astronaut cool like, <laughs> yeah you can I, I can no i actually think it's too late but that's a part of like, you know that's a part of like the adultness that i do appreciate is that there is a level of like all right well what's really gonna happen for me <laughs> and just like but still having hope yeah You know what, Thais, if you become a
1: billionaire, you could just start your own space agency and and be the first, you know, it's possible. There's
0: a loophole (sighs) here. There are like, Like, there's another pathway to astronautism and it's not through NASA.
2: No, It might be. I mean I don't have to go to school to be an astronaut? You just have to be rich. Exactly. You have
1: to be a billionaire and that's the other qualification. That's what Elon Musk did. He's building
3: spaceships. He didn't go to NASA school, whatever that is. Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. Got it. Got it. Side note, my two best friends growing up, Brittany and Danielle, both of their dads worked at NASA when we were <laughs> growing up. <Awesome>. That's cool. <laughs> Didn't um, NASA my brother work there.
0: unfunded?
2: What? Yeah. I just,
1: I'm not a huge NASA fan from my b- brother working there. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of choice things to oh. say about them and the system. It's not a good system. Space
0: force. That's what, that's the thing that's happening right now. Space force. <laughs> that's yeah. not a joke that's trump's space yeah. force
1: <laughs> but is oh, wait, it what is it, it really be. happening
3: yeah.
0: yeah i don't know if it's actually happening now but it was like a thing they were trying to make it happen yeah space force. and it's like did you just watch the netflix show <laughs> and then be like oh yeah <laughs> that's exactly what happened wow. uh, yeah. well thanks i think that you can definitely be in a space shuttle <laughs>
2: Me too. I mean, Wallace, honestly, you saying that I could be a billionaire one day, just like, and I never thought about that in my life before, but I feel like you you see something. And if you see it, I'm going to take it. I will hold that vision for there you. you yeah. That. Well, I think that this was
0: great. This Wendy Fitzwilliam, we went from- <laughs> We went from toddlers and tiaras to NASA. So that seems like a successful (laughs) chain of events.
3: And we're (laughs) smart, (laughs) (laughs) y'all.
2: Don't forget. Yeah, that's a point that I wanted to make a part of like being, you know, childlike and beautiful. Yes, I'm claiming it. I am childlike and I am beautiful. But then also just like, being intelligent, like having smart things to say, it's like, I thoroughly enjoy moments where it's just like, you might've thought one thing, but guess what it says, flip the script and then just throw it on them like that. And I'm just like, and that's how we do it.
0: So that's our episode. Thanks everyone for listening. For sure. Thank you for that much of the week <laughs> and anything else that we need to add. Thanks for listening to the podcast episode, rate, review and subscribe. It means the world to us when you share it on Instagram, you can tag us at holisticism so that we can pump you up and we can share your stuff. This thing gets found because of you and we make it for you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing it with your friends, texting it to your homies, putting it on IG and we love hearing from you. So we love your feedback. Shoot us a text at the number in the show notes below and leave a five star, like just leave a five star review with a really nice comment. We really appreciate that. All right, cool guys. This was fun. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. See you on the internet. Bye.